0: your inner armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Well, welcome back to the Inner Armor Podcast. My name is Greg Smith, and I am here as always with Dr. Timothy Royer, the founder of Royer Neuroscience and Inner Armor. And we have, once again, a very special guest today. In the last episode, we talked about the brain-body connection in a way that we haven't talked about it before. We've talked often about the way that physical dangers trigger our body's sympathetic state, so when we're being attacked by a bear or whatnot. And we've talked a lot before about psychological stresses, the doc's famous what ifs and what abouts. But last time we took a deep dive into the physiological stresses that occur in our body, particularly related to diet and nutrition and how that may cause inflammation and other things that trigger our autonomic nervous system to trip into sympathetic mode. So today we're going to continue with that in a very technical way. We're going to get into the chemistry of this. And we have a very special guest who's going to talk to us about the chemistry of nutrition, the chemistry, blood chemistry, and how all that plays out and its interaction with our autonomic nervous system. So, Doc, do you want to introduce this very special guest?
1: Yes, I do. Thanks, Greg. It's great to have everybody listening today. And you know, last week we had Amy talk to us, and as you guys remember she's my wife and my business partner in Warrior Neuroscience. And we're keeping it in the family today because I'm really excited to have my daughter Kate uh, with us today, Dr. weringa And kind of like Amy had mentioned her journey, which has been a you know lifelong journey with nutrition, but more specifically, improving her education actually started in seeing things happen with our kids early on and her getting more uh, education in uh, nutrition as she talked about watching joe do the keto diet who's our our son but uh also for me and amy we've learned a lot uh by watching katie do her research and delve into the importance of fats and how those fats work and we've introduced a lot of that into our practice in Breuer Neuroscience where we're actually measuring omega-3 and those kind of things and uh, this is an area of specialty for Kate so we wanted to have her join us and walk through the chemistry of this stuff and how that it really impacts our body what we do eat, but importantly, some of the different nutrients and particularly fats. So, Kate, can you kind of give us a little bit of your background? What brings you to where you are today? What are you doing today? And then we'll kind of just start start our discussion on on omega three. Katie is joining us today, and she's going to be uh, connecting to us internationally on a phone call. So we're uh, not doing our normal high-quality HD recording. Uh, so to our listeners out there, if it sounds like Kate is on a phone call and I'm on a phone call, it's because we are and we're cro- uh, talking across the Atlantic. So Kate, you're joining us from the Netherlands. Can you give us a little bit of your background and what you're currently doing?
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, so hello from across the ocean. I am currently working uh, in a lab uh, at Utrecht University. I don't Scott. So my project right now is more focused on cancer biology, which is really what we're going to be uh, talking about today. But I, yeah, I've always been very interested in cellular biology. And so that led me to my PhD, which I finished up in 2021, um, where I studied the effects of omega-3 fatty acids on certain types of immune cells. um, And I studied how they influence levels of inflammation. um, And this was working in a lab that was really focused on how Uh, these omega-3 fatty acids could play an anti-inflammatory role in in autoimmune disease. Um, and So I look at just one cell type in that whole giant picture. But yeah, I mean, I spent five years sort of deep diving all of this uh, chemistry behind these omega-3 fatty acids, what they get broken down into, what they're actually doing inside of the cell and how that influences inflammatory pathogens in that cell. So that is uh, what we're going to be talking about today, I believe.
1: Yes, we are, because we're very interested, as you know, in uh, managing the autonomic nervous system way upstream and looking at it getting out of balance either in too much parasympathetic or too much sympathetic, which is when the the nervous system is overactivated. And if that's like a 3,000-foot view, what you're doing. You are down at the millimeter view of what's <laughs> literally happening in the cells that start the whole inflammatory process, which you can have somebody that uh, psychologically things are going well, environmentally things are going well, but they're stuck in sympathetic because they're inflamed. There's some type of inflammatory process last week. Amy talked about the gut and how it can get inflamed and uh, leaky gut and autoimmune and those kind of things. But you're really going to take us to the cells and how this all happens. And then looking at how different things that we take yeah. in uh, essential fatty acids. So can you explain a little bit like what's happening cellularly and what is an essential fatty acid?
2: Yeah, sure. Um so yeah, I guess maybe we could start with some uh, terms. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we've all heard of fats, right? So it's one of the main macronutrients within the food that we eat. Um, and that can be broken down into so many different uh, subcategories. Um, so probably listeners have sort of like saturated fatty acids, unsaturated fatty acids. And when we talk about essential fatty acids, these are fats that we need to take in through our diet because our body can't make them on our own. So mm. our cells, actually, every cell in your body has a membrane around it, so like a wall, and that's made up of fatty acids. And fatty acids play a super important role, both in like making that physical barrier around each individual cell, but they also have all sorts of other jobs that they do in the cell. It's like signaling molecules, um, they can get broken down into smaller smaller uh, metabolites that can uh, trigger different responses. But yeah, every salt that and most of those that we can make on our own. But there's a few, there's a class that we can't make on our own and those are the essential fatty acids that you mentioned. So for those, we have to take in through our diet. And two the two things that we always uh, hear about from the essential fatty acids are the omega-6 and the omega-3 fatty acids. So these ones are really good to, I guess define. Okay, so the difference between these is where the bonds are. So this gets really technical, especially if you don't have like a picture in front of you. Um, but basically, you can picture a, a fatty acid as like this long, squiggly tail of carbons and hydrogen. Okay, and in that tail, you have sometimes like a very straight tail, so those are saturated fats, and then you have certain fats that have more of like a squiggly. Pale, kind of like a zigzag because they have different types of bonds in them and they have more of these what we call double bonds. These are the unsaturated fats and the essential fatty acids are a type of unsaturated fatty acid that our body just doesn't have like the enzyme or the tool to put a double bond in a specific position in the pail, which is why you have to eat it. Mm. Yeah, did that make sense? <laughs> no,
1: sense. it makes complete sense. Uh, okay. So why um, is so, there the difference between a six and a three?
2: So that just has to do with where you find that bond that I was talking about. So three just means that the double bond is three carbons from the end of the long tail. Six just means the double bond is six carbons from the end of the long tail. So okay. it's, uh, just based on where you see those bonds showing up. Yeah,
1: and so because it's essential fatty acids, the omega sixes and the omega threes, they're going to come through what we eat, right?
2: Yep, because we can't make those. Like our body doesn't plant have the enzyme to put that bond in that specific position. And then animals eat those plants, and then we eat the plants and the animals. And so that's how we get those fatty acids into our diet. We can't make them or into our body. We can't make them ourselves.
1: Okay, so can you explain to the listeners and also to me again <laughs> um, what's important about the omega-3 ones that we're taking in our diet and maybe contrast that to the omega-6s?
2: Yeah, sure. So, all the cells in our body have both these omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acid. However, in the U.S. especially, and in the Western diet, the types of foods we eat have way more of the omega-6s in them compared to the omega three. And so then what, what you see happening is when you look at the types of fat that are showing up in our cells, you see more of the omega-6s. Because like I said, the only way you're getting the six omega-6s and omega-3s into, the, into your cells is through your diet. So if you're eating a lot of omega-6s, You have a lot more omega-6s in yourself. And I should clarify that omega-6s aren't bad to say. Like a lot of times in that omega-3 literature, sort of the omega-6s become the bad guy. They serve a lot of really good purposes. But the bigger issue is that we have just such a high amount of omega-6s compared to omega-3s in our diet. And so when I say they act as the bad guys, this is going back to what we know about essential fatty acids and inflammation. So when those omega-6 fatty acids in the cell membrane get broken down and metabolized, they can get turned into all sorts of these different smaller molecules that have inflammatory properties. So maybe, like for example, if you have um, a fever, one of the metabolites that gets broken down from omega-6 fatty acids is responsible for like helping generate that, that heat and that inflammatory response that you see with a fever. Um, and so that being said, if your cells are much richer in these omega-6 fatty acids, it's possible that you're generating more of these inflammatory, um, molecules, uh, than what you really should be. So, there's some nice papers that have shown that, like our, you know, hunter-gatherer diet had a much more even split of omega six to omega three. If you compare like the types of foods that people ate, you know, way, way, way back, whereas now we're eating stuff that's much more enriched in omega sixes, and so we're producing more of these inflammatory mediators than what our ancestors laid back would have been, because they didn't have as many omega six foods. Incorporated into their cells. So that's so, kind of the underlying principle of why why adding more omega 3s could have this, this anti inflammatory effect.
1: Okay. So for the listener out there, inflammation, uh, what might that be like precursor to in general? If I'm looking to, you know, like be a peak performer, or maybe I have somebody uh, or myself that has a clinical thing going on. Um, how how does inflammation versus anti-inflammation, how does that impact these different diseases and things?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I think especially I, I was a college athlete, so I ran cross-country and track in college. So I often think of inflammation in terms of like, yeah, the sore knee or the AP back or whatever, like something's inflamed, something's wrong. And so that, of course, is one one area you're going to see it. So when we talk about inflammation, we often talk about like these five pillars of inflammation. So you have pain, peak, uh loss of function, swelling, and oh, yeah, redness, that's it, redness. Yeah. Yeah, 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 redness. So like, of course, if you're inflamed in a joint, for example, you're going to have more pain at that joint. I, I think like the extreme, extreme area we think of when we think of inflammation, especially inflammation that's really gotten out of control would be like autoimmune diseases or auto-inflammatory disorders and diseases where you have, for example, like a rheumatoid arthritis where there's so much inflammation in that joint that it leaves dysfunction, it's swollen, it's painful. But when I think more about like what role does inflammation play in peak performance, yeah, that's where it's like if you go out and you I don't know, do a whole bunch of 400 repeats and you're kind of sore the next day, but the following day your body's able to dissolve the inflammation. You're going to be able to like progress more and progress more quickly than someone who takes several, several days to recover from that because their inflammation was so high following that, you know, tough workout. So that's that's kind of how I would think of it in terms of uh, performance. And then, yeah, I, I don't know, do you want,
1: no, I. It sounds like it's it's more of a like inflammation affects all of us in some way, like Eric can. Yeah from from the peak performer to somebody like with cardiovascular disease, which could be related to to inflammation or lupus. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. uh, I would assume almost every disease we experience is worsened by inflammation. Yeah. And I've heard some researchers talk about like neuroinflammation, where the brain is actually, you know, inflamed, mm-hmm. and that that can be a contributor to a lot of the different psychiatric illnesses that we talk about. Is that um, it's an inflammatory process? I know particularly in concussion or or uh, traumatic brain injury that there's a, a, a cascade of inflammation that when you're trying to recover for something like that, it doesn't sound like you want to have an overabundance of omega-6 in the system because it's going to be more problematic to recovery. Anybody that wants to function at a high level really needs to be taking into consideration what's going on at the cellular level with the distribution of omega-6 and omega-3
2: yeah yeah absolutely and i also when i think about giving you omega-3 and omega-6 essential fatty acids when you take these in they're, they're going everywhere in the body so there are some really nice studies that show like correlations between for example your red blood cell levels of omega-6 or omega-3 fatty acids and tissue levels so like you If your red blood cell levels go up, you also see an increase in your omega-3 levels in the liver and the kidneys and the muscle. So it's going everywhere. So it's like your whole body is getting more of these omega-3 fatty acids. Like you literally are what you eat, right? So you're eating the omega-3 fatty acids. They're getting incorporated into your body. And so you then have more of those. Um, and if those have these like anti-inflammatory properties, then it's Endowing all these different tissues with like this extra tool to fight against inflammation, which yeah, it's what you're right. Like, but I think a lot of the direction things are going, especially with a lot of these chronic diseases, is their basis is this inflammation, kind of out of control inflammation, and that's showing up in different tissues. Right, if you have like some sort of chronic kidney disease, you've inflammation in your kidneys. You have aching joints, inflammation in the joints with disease, inflammation in the vessels. And so if you're able to kind of give the cells in those areas these extra tools, these extra things to fight against the inflammation, like I mean, that's a win win, I think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so No definitely. Yeah. And I know I mean, we're in a culture that, you know, the first thing when something's sore, right? We we retour an anti inflammatory thing. Yeah. Right. So the you know, the NSAIDs and and those things, right? Is Am I in the right area here that these are...
2: Yeah, so the NSAIDs... Actually, uh, NSAIDs, so non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, anti-inflammatory uh, the D and NSAIDs, well, non, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, those actually, one thing they do is change certain enzymes, but it makes more of these like teeny tiny lipid... Uh, metabolites that act like with this anti-inflammatory uh effect so that's yeah a separate thing but kind of like if you're already eating omega-3 fatty acids you have more omega-3 fatty acids your kind of the production of these downstream mediators is influenced in a similar way that you can influence it with a, a non steroidal anti-inflammatory uh drug drug that's the <laughs> yeah
1: no, it's interesting. Yeah. I remember you put me on to the book, uh, Queen of Fats, which listeners out there, fantastic book, easy read. But in there, they were literally talking about the difference between taking Tylenol and Advil and actually using uh, essential fatty acids, omega 3s, and seeing like better results than. These things that we just naturally gravitate to when something's sore or something's mm-hmm. off, right?
2: Yeah. Well, short-lived, right? If you're taking a, a Tylenol or an Advil, it's great for like that temporary relief. But if you have your cells already stocked up, basically, or more full with the fatty acids that when they get broken down, they themselves make these anti-inflammatory metabolites then, yeah, I mean, I think they work together. I don't think you're going to always be able to do just one or always be able to do just the other, but for yeah. sure, you probably don't need as much of the one if you have more of the other, for example.
1: Now, you're you're looking in your research at, uh, at least at your doctoral research, you were looking at in relation to lupus omega-3, mm-hmm. right? Without getting too technical, can you kind of explain to us what, what was going on there. That's not like just taking one omega-3 a day or something, right? It was, what were you looking at there?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So, yeah, so I'll talk more about the kind of overarching projects our lab was doing because yeah, it better answers your question. So our lab was interested in understanding how omega-3 fatty acids can slow down um, the development and progression of nutrients. And so we had uh, these mice that they will develop lupus spontaneously. Lupus is, a, is an autoimmune disease, that's very common and uh, not very common, but it's most prevalent in women of childbearing age, So women, yeah, over over twenty years old. And it's really an nasty disease. I mean, it's systemic autoimmune disease, so it influences several several organs. And basically, your body, your body's immune system, sort of fights against itself, so you start producing Antibodies, which normally we want to produce antibodies against like bad foreign substances like bacteria. But in the case of lupus, the body gets confused and starts producing all these antibodies against your own tissues. And then your immune system is super powerful, great for eradicating infections, not so great when it's turned on your own tissues. So wow. with lupus have uh, the end stage if it's untreated with lupus, it's uh, kidney failure because their body. Attacks to the kidneys, Mm. but you also see things showing up. For example, they have sometimes lung complications, often they have skin complications. So, yeah, it's a acid disease. Anyway, often, mousse is treated with super strong anti inflammatories and Mm. uh, corticosteroids, which, yeah, my PhD supervisor used to describe corticosteroids as a poisonous chalice, which I think is maybe a dramatic, but probably accurately to describe it because. They, they give relief, but probably some listeners know like years and years and years on corticosteroids is also not great because both have their own set of side effects. And so sort of the basis of the research in our lab and the justification for why even look at this is we wanted to find a dietary intervention that would reduce the symptoms of, of lupus, ideally then requiring less of this people powerful anti inflammatory steroids. Uh, and so, we took these mice and we fed them diets that either had a control, either a control diet, or diets that had the equivalent of taking two grams of DHA per day, which DHA is one of those omega 3 essential fatty acids, or five grams of DHA per day. And so, to put those doses in context, Five grams is a lot of DSA. I can explain a little yeah. later, like, how many pills that would be. But five grams is actually what's like, considered safe by the, Euro- uh, basically the European equivalent of the FDA. Um, they say five grams is safe. And the only real side effects you have is you go, I mean, okay, there you don't want to go like high, high above that because there can be, you don't ever want to have too much of one thing, I suppose. Um, but yeah, five grams is considered safe. And then we also had a two-gram dose, which we considered like our actually feasible. (laughs) If you're this normal person, like taking supplements that aren't maybe a a prescription. And so what we saw is that when we gave these animals an an environmental trigger to induce lupus, the animals that were fed this five grams a day dose, they had almost, in the period we looked at, they had almost no development of the disease. Whereas wow. animals that were on a diet, yeah, their kidneys were horrible. They were full of these autoantibodies. And if you look at, for example, gene expression their levels of inflammatory proteins in their blood plasma, those are super high. So, yeah, the DHA reduced or almost completely eliminated like the end stage loop of symptoms like the, uh, the kidney response. We did see some of those upstream responses like the, the antibodies and things like that. So it's not like it's 100% going to be able to block it. I mean, that's yeah, why we have modern medicine as well. I mean, those drugs do to But it certainly reduces symptoms, which one of my colleagues, she just finished her PhD, So she just is working on getting this uh, publication out where she shows some really cool results with how that affects how much of the particle steroids you now need to give the So can we actually reduce it? And if we add DHA, can we reduce how much these animals need to be like a beneficial effect? So I don't know if it's published or not published yet, but, uh, yeah, so I won't say all the results. I don't know if it's a yeah. secret. Um, but, uh, yeah. So no, they're doing cool stuff at uh, the lab I worked in for my PhD, They're doing really neat stuff to like sort of dig into what is the mechanism of how these omega-3 fatty acids are working and how can they be practically put into place? That's probably
1: yeah. a long answer to your question. No, it's it's <laughs> great because I think it does frame the context for our listener listener out there that, you know, does, might not have lupus, okay, uh, might not have a particular, you know, chronic illness, but when we look at how we can take this omega-3 in in a way, not at a much different dosing than maybe we knew twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, that um it's working to keep the system out of inflamed response and well, maybe I'm not inflamed. Well, we're thinking about inflammation all the time when we mention the word recovery. Okay. So if I've got, yeah. if I've got an athlete out there like, well, I don't have lupus. Why am I listening to this podcast? Well, you're dealing every single day with recovery. All of us, when you have disruption in your sleep, your system is not recovering. Correctly, okay. When you have disruption in your focus, it's probably because you didn't recover correctly. If we're predisposed to anxiety, uh, stress, you uh, you're obsessing. The system is showing us that it's more inflamed or more sympathetic. Now, again, that could be psychological, could be environmental, but we're asking the listeners to look internally at the cellular level to think are my cells out of balance in the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, which is then going to predispose me to just easily tilt right into inflammation and poor recovery. So we kind of are building... Yeah. It's kind of like the mortar between the bricks and how strong that mortar is. And so if we can look at that and fix it, like you said, it's not a one-stop shop but it's really important to how I'm predisposed. Um, And these are only going to happen via diet. I'm not going to make these things internally. Can you explain, like, we talk about the ratio of a six to three. Uh, Can you explain Mm -hmm. that a little bit? What's good, what's bad, and maybe like why different parts of the world actually have, Different ratios. Like, can you kind of explain that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So, um, maybe with have heard of this omega 3 index. So, this is simply the measure of what percent of your red blood cell membranes are omega 3 fatty acids. So, often, I mean, so uh, I know that Interim, where I work, uh, where neuroscience both work with um, a company called OmegaCorn. Um, and I, yeah, I'm i going to give them a plug because they're a great company. I also worked with them in my PhD. We would send them a bunch of mouth samples that uh, Royal Neuroscience Funds <laughs> and And what they do is they just take a tiny drop of your blood from your finger and you literally put it on a piece of filter paper, mail it in, and they can take that drop of blood and they can pull out the blood, the red blood cell membrane. So in that blood, is all these, you know, tons of red blood cells in there. Both have a cell membrane, like I talked about earlier. And they look at that cell membrane and they can say what percent of that cell membrane is omega 3 fatty acids. And so, if you look all over the world, you can see that countries that consume more fish, for example, Japan, or um, a really famous example is the Greenland, is uh, it Greenland or Iceland? I think it's Greenland. <laughs> in Greenland, they eat a lot of fish, seal blubber, whale blubber, like just all omega 3 So those places that eat tons of fish, tons of seafood, they have really high omega-3 indices like in that 8% range, which is what omega 8% even, which is what the omega-3 considers like ideal um, and protective against a variety of different gut um, inflammatory diseases. If you look at um, the US, well, I think it's probably one of the worst examples. We consume a lot of things, like I mentioned earlier, that are really rich in omega sixes. So a lot of grain based products, corn is like really rich in omega sixes. And what do we fry everything in? Corn oil. <laughs> yeah. And what do we have in everything sweet? High fructose corn sugar. <laughs> so, well, of course, that doesn't have the fat in it. But like, we use so much corn in the U.S. Everything is corn based, and our, our animals, our meat. Fed grain and uh, corn. And so, those, then those animals, their red blood cell membranes and their tissues are now enriched in omega 6s. Then we eat those animals. And so, then we become more enriched in omega 6s. And the threes and the 6s, the same, yeah, I'll say, well, enzymes, the same proteins that are responsible for kissing up fatty acids and basically sticking them inside the wall of the cell. um... Yeah, you have the same enzyme doing that for the sixes and the threes, so it's like a fight, right? So if you have a whole bunch of sixes coming in and just a few threes, that enzyme just like only sees the sixes and just gets all the sixes into into the cell membrane. But if you can shift that balance of how much sixes and threes you take in, then that enzyme's gonna you know be more uh, able to collect sixes and threes, sixes and threes, and put those into the membrane. So that's a big part of it is because these these fatty acids share the same pathway to get into the cell and then to get moved by the cell. If you shift the balance of what you're putting into your body, you shift the balance of what's inside of the body. And so, yeah, I think looking at how different countries vary is a really cool way to see how that diet of that country literally shows up inside of the person, right?
1: Yeah, and then the downstream uh, effects on illness and in- inflammatory disease yeah. and that kind of stuff can a big component can be these so you mentioned like some of these um, countries like japan greenland where they're eating a lot of fish index up around 8 to 10% and here in the us we'll see an index of 3% 2% yeah low love- <laughs> it's yeah. it's really poor in meaning that the dominant six and so we use these uh omega quant where we'll send out uh the kit to people uh it's not that expensive uh maybe forty dollars and what we'll do is you'll get back uh, a report of your uh, omega-3 index and then what's really cool is we'll make some adjustments because uh cate explaining a little bit about this calculator that they use that gives you some guidance on where you want to get to yeah but they'll you will use an increase of omega-3 and i've seen within six to eight weeks, somebody go from a three to like a 7%. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about inner armor, right? This is like inner, inner armor. <laughs> I mean, this is like, yeah yeah. this is armor around.
2: Cellular inner armor.
1: <laughs> it's cellular inner armor, right? It's around the cell that you can either have this one that's, going to be constantly getting inflamed uh, which is then going to ripple out to the rest of the body or you can have this inner inner armor that is resistant it's anti inflammatory it's strong and I'll, I'll add this one more plug on the index is we've done this with all kinds of individuals from a highly clinical people with you know significant disorders to Elite, elite, elite athletes, you know, top of their game. And, you know, we can't say it exactly, but what I see over and over again are these elite athletes come to the table with a better omega-3 index. Now, that's probably because they're watching their diet, maybe not purposely, but they are sourcing their food differently. And, you know, whether that, that lack of inflammation makes them a little bit more available to perform at a higher level because they're recovering quicker or not, it's hard to say. But I also see on the reverse side, on the clinical side, uh, people with major clinical issues with very, very poor omega-3 index. And it's not always going to be you know one-to-one on that. But why not start with something that's as basic as increasing omega-3 and measuring it that ultimately will set the base for the potential for for better performance. So can you explain um, uh, the index and and so how they work with, let's say I've got the index of two and a half, okay, of my omega-3. So I don't have enough omega-3. And then they kind of work this calculator thing. And tell me about the calculator and what they're trying to do through this calculator to change my omega-3 index.
2: Yeah. So basically with this calculator that omega corn has, um, you can put into the calculator what your omega-3, current omega-3 index level is. So that's how many omega-3s do you have? what percent in your red blood cells? Uh, and then you it will give you how much EPA and DHA you should take per day to reach the goal, whatever the goal level is for you. So, I mean, I think for optimal performance, that'd be 8 to 10%, um, which probably most listeners don't have unless they're really big distributors. But yeah, so I mentioned a bit earlier um, that we, in my PhD, we use theotrin. So, this is one of the two main essential omega 3 fatty acids. The other one is EPA. So, these two are basically like cousins. They look very similar to each other. Uh, they just, yeah, they're slightly different in their chemical properties. But they're both omega-3 fatty acids and they're both the ones that you find when you take a fish oil supplement. So they're very, very high in fish and in fish oil. But you don't want to describe like any old fish oil supplement off the shelf. You really want to look at the back and see how much EPA and DHA that actually we have in there. So the calculator tells you how many milligrams per day of EPA and DHA that you need. So that's not, that's not just how many milligrams of fish oil. That's specifically of EPA and DHA. So for example, I grabbed my bottle of fish oil and it probably has... Um, actually, I know because I just the top of it today. Half of it contains EPA and DHA. Okay? Wow. So yeah. So in my one capsule of fish oil, I think the serving size for the one I have is, is two capsules. So in the two capsules, there's two milligrams of fish oil itself. The so only, only half of that is EPA and DHA. So I'm actually only getting one milligram.
1: Gotcha. Sorry,
2: 1,000. One gram. I'm getting one gram of EPA and DHA with my two capsules. Not two. So I'm getting two grams of fish oil, but I'm only getting one gram of EPA plus DHA. So that's super important to look for. Like I found that if you just grab any old brand off the shelf, I mean, you could be getting anywhere from only like 10 to 30% of like EPA and DHA in there. And wow. sometimes they're... Okay. If that are just as an omega-3 supplement, there are precursors. So fatty acids that are sort of like ETI and DHA, but not exactly. Those are precursors to ETI and DHA. Those are healthy. They are beneficial, but they're not going to raise your omega-3 index as fast. So a lot of times, mm-hmm. if you just do like an omega-3 supplement at a store, it will have quite a bit of those precursor molecules in it, which they're not worthless, but they're not passing as big of a punch. As the EPA and DHA. So, if you really want to raise that omega-3 index fast, you have to take in those, those, those two specifically. They're the, the big players there.
1: So, Kate, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about this and at a very deep cellular level, but it has uh, meaning as we talked about inflammation and recovery. So, in the countries where, you know, we see better omega-3 index, so they're eating either directly more fish or they're eating meats that have more of a that are feeding off of green things, grass fed. Uh, you know, what do we see physically health wise for these places? Do we see differences in their health? I mean, of course, we look at the United States. You know, we're probably worse on the charts and a lot of things like obesity and heart disease and those kind of things. But what's your what have you kind of seen there?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably hard to, like, make regularly strong comparison from one country to country on the, like, to say the omega-3 index is the thing doing it, right? Because there's so yeah. many other factors that different from country to country. Um, but I will say, like, the thing that kicked off the whole omega-3 field was the observational study in the population in Greenland where they saw that these people that eat this super omega-3 rich diet had really um low levels of thrombosis, I think. So yeah, cardiovascular disease. And that really uh started the whole <laughs> omega-3 field with this odd finding of like, wow, these people that eat all these fish, they are much healthier. They have much better like heart health. Uh there are several studies where they do look at different uh yeah even like brain brain health specific things like anxiety or depression and they they have measured uh omega-3 and with people that have higher anxiety or higher levels of depression and there they do see some differences omega court has some really nice blog articles actually so i'm going to point to them because i think they in those blogs they also cite a lot of their important references things like that but they have some really nice blogs looking at the connection between omega 3s and depression, the connection between omega 3s and anxiety. Um, and yeah, there is definitely some link there between higher omega 3 index and, in general, less of some of these diseases that may have some diseases or disorders that may have some inflammatory basis. Yeah.
1: Yes. Great. Well, as we finish up, uh, just I know this is a really deep dive for our listeners, but. It's a very important dive to think about the, what we're taking in. I know you've mentioned before, you could have two eggs, different types of eggs sitting on a shelf at a grocery store, and one could be more inflammatory, and another one could actually be anti-inflammatory if we're looking at how those eggs were sourced, uh, because it's important to be thinking about how we're fueling our body, especially in this whole idea of recovery. Any last things, Kate, that you would leave our listeners in relation to this uh, discussion? Maybe a starting point or um, just kind of a take-home that just the average person out there never heard this stuff before and they're trying to build their inner inner armor. Uh, What might be a good starting point for
0: them?
2: Yeah. I think that the best starting point is figuring out what your omega-3 index is. And we talked about omega quant index Whereas for inner armor users, there's probably other things out there. But it's. I mean, like a lot of things inner armor does, like it's it's being more aware of where your body is. It's another level of biofeedback, you know? So it's the more, Mm -hmm. the biofeedback you do with the breathing and the EEG, tripping, et cetera, is like real time. You can see what's happening, what's changing. Whereas this, yeah, it takes your cells a while to remodel their membranes but why not get an idea of where they are right now so you can know how you can make it better. You know, so when I've done these omega font tests, I like to do one and then do another one six months later and see, okay, I made a few changes. Did it actually have an effect? And yeah, depending on how aggressively you go after it, you probably look see an effect. So it's just good to get a baseline, get an idea of where you're actually at, and then figure out what meaningful things you can do to change
1: That's awesome. And we've learned today just how those may have a downstream effect in a lot of other areas. So we're super, super excited to have this level of uh, expertise on the podcast and for teaching us so much about uh, omega-3s and encourage our listeners to look forward to to learning more about that. But thanks, Dr. Wieringa, Kate. Uh, for being with us today and sharing your wealth of knowledge on this topic. And, uh, for our listeners, you know, encourage you to get to, uh, Inner Armor or Royal Neuroscience. Royal Neuroscience may do, uh, a few more of these deeper dives with you if you'd like to, uh, learn more about that. Greg, it was kind of fun having, uh, Kate on today. Uh, any last words from you?
0: Oh, this was fantastic. And I think that as we deepen our understanding of the brain and body connection, uh, that really opens the doors to uh, new understandings of your own health and your own potential. And Inner Armor is committed to helping everyone to reach their potential and to be the best that they can be. So go to forgeinnerarmor.com. If you also want to get a grip on the fundamental science involved in the brain-body connection, You can read the book, Forge Your Inner Armor, available at Amazon.com. This has been the Inner Armor Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment. You can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com dot com.